Hello, and welcome to the London Writer Salon podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Parul. And each week we sit down with a writer that we admire to talk about the craft of writing and the art of building a successful and sustainable writing career. These interviews are recorded live with our global writing community. If you would like to join us for the next recording or write with us at our daily Writer's Hour writing sessions, head to LondonWriterSalon.com for more information. In this episode, we speak to journalist, author, and writing coach, Rebecca Schiller. In 2017, Rebecca moved her family to a countryside small holding for a life of sewing and growing. But the reality of managing a small holding led to a mental health crisis, and it was her work on the land that helped to save her. And she writes about this in her memoir, Earthed. In this conversation with Rebecca, we get granular about the art of writing a memoir. We talk not only about the details of structure and plotting, but also the challenges of writing about deeply personal moments and why Rebecca decided to be honest in her memoir, even when doing so was uncomfortable. She says, there's a beauty in being vulnerable and not covering the things that we are taught to cover. Rebecca shares how she finds ways to slow down and step away from her work. She also talks about her recent ADHD diagnosis and shares writing practices that have helped her deal with her neurodivergence. Rebecca was open-hearted and candid throughout this whole conversation, and it was a joy to chat with her. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Rebecca Schiller. we could be holding this interview anywhere, of course, we are in our homes right now. It's 2021. Uh, but if we could be holding this interview anywhere in the world, where would you love us to be? So um, every year when um, I was growing up, uh, we would visit a cottage that belonged to my dad's um, best friend from uh, when they were at medical school together. And it's called Tinimineth, which means tiny on the mountain. And it's sort of halfway up a, a North Welsh um, mountain. Uh, very basic, um, looking out over the sea, loads of sheep, um, a very evocative sort of gorse and sheep wee smell. Um, and it's always the place where... I felt myself sort of come together a little bit. And, and whenever I'm back in North Wales, looking out at the mountains, I do sort of feel like that's where I'm, I'm meant to be, or I've, I've, there's a bit of me that lives there. So um, maybe we could, we could go there next time. <laughs> Sounds beautiful. And hopefully there's room for 99 of us uh, all <laughs> up on the, the mountain. It's a whole um, mountain. There's room no, for loads of us. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. It's beautiful. I love it. And I absolutely can, would love to be there right now with you. Um, and as we sort of touched upon, you've done what many of us dream of doing, of escaping to a more simple life. And of course, your book does explore how that's not always easy. But there are some magical things that you write about, like having a goose egg in one's pocket. And just before, when you came on, you told us that you were wrestling goats. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I wonder, this week, have you had any other moments of joy from this this life, the, the small holding from the farm? I think there are always um, little moments um, here that, that feel like joy. Um, my struggle is to, to stop moving long enough to, 
to make sure I notice them. Um, but we've got two newborn goat kids um, and they've just learned to do that thing that goat kids do where they jump up in the air and sideways, sort of in one amazing movement and spin in the air. And so whenever I, whenever I need one of those moments of joy, I can just go outside and see this incredible um, sort of acrobatic show from the goat kids. And the human children have built them a playground. So it's just spinning and twirling golden colored baby goats out there, um, which is pretty amazing. Just <laughs> goat parkour so everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, of course, we're going to be talking quite a bit about your writing and uh, the book. Um, what was your entry point into writing? Do you have an earliest memory about you as a writer or you writing? Um, I always loved to write as soon as I could read and write. Um, I, it actually took me a really long time to learn to read. Um, and then I learned to read overnight because someone teased me about it. Um, and some of the things I explore in the book go on to explain that to me um, quite a lot. But from the moment I could read, I could read everything and wanted to read everything. And I remember writing some kind of imaginative story about a sweet shop that was a little bit um, sort of Willy Wonka. And I started writing poetry when I was a kid. I always wrote poetry. Um, and I think it always just felt like a very natural thing to do. Um, just sort of a, a part of me. Um, and, and if I was going through something as a teenager, I would put it down on paper as the worst, most angsty poetry um, that I was sure was, you know, pretty much Sylvia Plath. <laughs> and did you continue with writing? I mean, obviously you're a writer now, you've got this book, you've got more books. Was there ever a period where you weren't a writer, where you weren't writing? Yeah, there, there was. Um, and it's, it's odd because I've only recently remembered that I always wanted to be a writer. <laughs> um, so I, I did, a, I did a literature degree. I applied to do an MA in creative writing and, and didn't get onto the MA I applied to and then went off and did something else. And it was actually really only when writing, beginning to write this book that I remembered I'd always wanted to be a writer. I got back into writing through the campaigning work I was doing um, at Birthright, I started writing pieces of journalism and um, came back into it that way. And the story I told myself was that I, I sort of got into writing accidentally and become a journalist. And then I'd written some books. And I think I'd wanted to be a writer so much. And when I hadn't got into the MA, I'd been so upset about it that I just parked that as an idea and genuinely blanked it out. So it's been a, it's been the plan all along. I just forgot about it in the middle. <laughs> mm. You took a detour of sorts. Yeah, yeah good is, detour. Is there anything that you gathered and you learned from that time at Birthright or, or the campaigning that then feeds your writing now that maybe you wouldn't have been able to do had you not taken that detour? Absolutely. I mean, I think just the discipline of um, writing... Um, I mean, for, for those of you who don't know that The Guardian, you know, a, a, a UK newspaper that has a, a big um, comment and opinion desk. And so I wrote a lot of comment pieces. So that's 10 a.m. They say, hey, can you write 700 words on this thing in the next two hours? And you have two hours to form an opinion and, <laughs> you know, craft it. In. And that's such good discipline as a writer. Um, um, and so that was really, really helpful. And I also think... I I always have a campaigning edge in my writing 
there's it's it's in there somewhere there's always i want to do something with it um and so that 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 which includes this book that you know it's it, it's i can't imagine ever writing something without wanting without having a little stealth stealth campaigning in there so i think it was very very formative as well as really um helping to form me as a feminist and to have that broader um, interest in kind of intersectional feminism and, 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 and writing. Hmm. And I'm curious because you, so you've, you've worked as a journalist, you're, you're saying more recently with Earth, you felt more like a writer and reminded yourself of why you loved writing and how you wanted to be a writer. And I believe you're also a writing coach. And so I'm curious like how those roles have grown and shrunk. And I don't know whether that's, whether yeah, whether it's in the last five years or longer than that. Um, what's that journey been like trying to figure out which of those areas are more important to you? I think I've always been very um, motivated by what's happening for me in my life, what I'm interested in. Um, but there's a sort of continual uh, drawback to just being interested in humans so everything I do is about being interested in interested in humans and um, finding out stories and also the campaigning side is always about about humans and, and I think anything to do with working one-to-one -one with people I did that when I was working a lot in birth I do it in writing it sort of evolved out of a desire to support people um, not necessarily believing that I <laughs> have anything to teach people, but knowing that I'm quite good at holding people safely and asking the kind of questions that help them work out what it is they want to do and build confidence. So the, the sort of writing coaching came about because people who I'd worked with in the world of, of birth wanted a bit of advice on how they might write articles and um, and I ended up working one-to-one -one with people through that and realizing that I really loved it in the same way I'd really enjoyed working one-to-one -one with people who'd had very traumatic previous births and needed somebody to you know help help them through 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 a future one so it it, it always feels to me like it's about working with human beings um, and <laughs> sort of being humans together um, and being curious about 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 that and wanting to listen and are you are you trying to increase that? So you're like, are you when you when you think about um, this year and beyond? Are you trying to increase the amount of time you're spending on writing and coaching? Yes, I mean, um, I I definitely feel like writing is the heart of what I do. <laughs> the struggle as a for me anyway as a writer is to spend enough time doing it and have enough money to live on while um, not doing so many things that you're completely um, uh, stressed. I haven't worked out how to do that. Um, but part of the, the Mothers Who Write um, uh, work is the idea that through mentoring and through um, the things that we can offer there, um, writing can be um, a, a career beyond um, the time I put into a particular book and also can, can can be a, uh, something we can share with other other writing mothers too. So it's a work in progress. Um. Yeah, no, and it's just interesting to hear your journey because we have a lot of writers in the community who are thinking about offering, you know, being a coach or or, or having a portfolio career. I, I think it does also for me. I get so much. 
And I think that's the thing that people say, you know, you get so much out of out of teaching people. I'm not I'm, I'm not teaching people. I get so much out of seeing their process and asking them questions and realizing I haven't asked myself that question. Um, I find it the most incredibly rewarding thing to do. And it's been so good for me as a writer. Um, uh, so I, I, I love doing it and I, I definitely want to do more. It's just a fine a fine balancing act with quite a few things that we've got we've got going on and after quite a challenging few years so I write about in the book trying not to not to do too much which is my tendency all right well if you do figure it out please let us know because we're all we're all on the search to, to figure out this balance thing yeah. so uh, we're all definitely on this journey together um, so Rebecca, we'd love to turn to your book now. So Earthed, uh, as we said before, it's it's a story about returning to land, to the land, and to a, particularly uh, a small holding in Kent. Is that where you are right now? Yes. Yeah, yeah I'm tucked away upstairs in um, in an attic room. <laughs> Right. Well, it's an, a wonderful makeshift uh, uh, display case for your, your, your yeah. books this week. Uh, but of course, your book is so much more than that. It's about the search for truth of what's happening in your head, about men your mental health. Um, this book, did you always imagine it as a memoir? Uh, did, what was your original intention with the story? So... Um, it, it came about because of a joke uh, at first, um, because I have a background in um, women's health and women's rights and, and particularly reproductive health. Um, and I was really interested in gardening and growing things. My friend said, hey, you should write a, a gardening book and call it Lady Garden. We had this funny joke that that's what I would do. And actually, this book went out under that title, out on submission, um, which raised, <laughs> raised a few eyebrows. Um, so the idea, it was always going to be a memoir, but it was going to be much, much simpler. It was going to be 12 months here on the plot, following the seasons and exploring some of the, the things in, in my life that had led to a point where I had some issues with mental health and looking at how the, the plot was helping and rebuilding me. Um, that idea was beginning to be formed. And, and actually, I was writing my proposal before the year that the book focuses on happens and um so the book was out on submission as a lot of the things in the book were happening so it changed a huge amount as it was being submitted and in between the publisher having bought it and me starting to write it and it changed a huge amount in the writing process because I was writing it last year when everything changed um, and I suddenly had to decide whether to include the pandemic in the book or not so um it's really shifted a huge amount um and um it definitely made it a lot harder work but i mm. hope um made it a lot more interesting than it would have been <laughs> wow yeah. ab absolutely and and how what was the response from from your publisher as it did change did they help um influence some of that change or uh was it a, a fight for it and of course as open as you would like to be with us uh, what was that that conversation like with your publisher as it did evolve my problem with talking about my publisher is that i keep crying because it was the one of the most rewarding experiences uh both professionally and personally in my whole life working with Elliot and Thompson and particularly with Sarah Rigby, um, the publishing director there. Um, I wanted her to buy the book. I was really hoping she would because I'd come across her in a, in, um, a, a sort of previous um, connection. And 
she did. Um, and she says that she saw some things in there that I hadn't yet seen. And it was the most nourishing, collaborative experience I was allowed to free wheel around and encouraged. Um, you know, the, the book ends up in, there's quite a lot of fiction. There's some poems in it. It radiates in a huge range of different directions and across time, none of which was in the proposal. And I think nine out of 10 editors would have really encouraged me back to the original proposal. And um, Sarah managed not to do that, but also to make me feel very safe and 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 and, and guided. Um, so it was a it was it was wonderful, and it's I, and I know from working with lots of other writers, it's quite rare to have that positive an experience. And it just has been from beginning to end a feeling of being valued as a writer and supported. Um, and there has been not one moment I've ever felt alone in the process of writing something that was really personal and very recent and quite difficult. Um, so that's why I was able to flex so much and suddenly go, oh, well, shall we, shall we just add an extra six months? Um, you know, <laughs> I handed the first draft in last August, beginning of August, and the book covers up until somewhere through July. So that's how at the time I was writing, that's how much it was shifting as I wrote it. And and um, I think that's only possible when you've got someone so good, you know, <laughs> sort of looking after you behind the scenes and working very, very hands-on with me. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad to hear that. It's lovely to hear a positive publishing experience because yeah. it does vary. Um, and yeah, it's interesting that you talk about all the different aspects of your book because it feels very personal because the, you've included poetry and you've included extracts and and there are such personal stories in there and I, I feel like you'd been you've been very honest there's very much a raw portrayal of how you were feeling and I I definitely had a visceral reaction to when you reached that breaking point mm -hmm. and had smashed something I think on your on your head and and I remember thinking I could feel that emotional pain by the way you describe it but it's very private. And I wondered, you know, were you hesitant to share that? And what's your take or philosophy on how much one should share, like a writer or you? What, what made you decide what to keep in and what to leave out? I think I was lucky that um, before I started writing, because I was um, running these writing retreats, I was spending quite a lot of time with other um, authors talking about our work and so I had a, a few really useful conversations with some memoirists I was talking to Clover Stroud about honesty where you draw the line um, and I was also reading a lot of memoir and the memoir I'm drawn to does tend to be um, does tend to be very honest I'm, I'm into feel I want to feel things um, as a as a person I'm not like that. I haven't told most people in my life mo any of the things that are in the book. Um, you know, my parents read a lot of that stuff for the first time to approve the mentions in the book, which was, you know, an interesting <laughs> process wow. to go through. So, but I, I felt like I, I felt like there was no point if I wasn't 
honest, with my own story, I was quite boundaried about other people's stories and elements of other people's stories. I felt like it was only okay to say things about other people where it really influenced what happened to me. And everybody, of course, had has read, read and approved that. But I, I felt as if it was a memoir of the inside of my head in the end. And if I didn't, if I didn't give, I didn't feel forced into doing it. It just came out that way. And I, I'd read this, um, I, I looked it out when I had a quick, quick look through some of the things we might talk about, Heavy by Keisha um, Lamont. Have you read the American memoir? And there's, at the beginning, it's like five little lines um, that I read. And I, I read it while I was, I was reading, while I was writing mine. And it, he says, I wanted to write a lie. I wanted that lie to be titillating. I wrote that lie. It was titillating. You would have loved it. I discovered nothing. You would have loved it. I started over and wrote what we hoped I'd forget. Was, Brilliant. I was like, that's, that's what I want to write. <laughs> I want to write the thing that, you know, that I, I hoped, you know, I tried to forget and that trying to forget it wasn't a good idea. Um, and so it had to be, it had to be honest. Um, yeah. But yeah, it has, I don't find it easy. Um, uh, yeah. talk, I, I find it much less easy to talk about it than I do to write it, um, even though I'm really pleased I wrote it that way. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally appreciate that. Hmm. It is, it's funny, I actually asked Matt earlier, I was like, can I even say this out loud? I didn't want to, because mm. it's some. It's can feel. Although I read your book and I, I'm allowed to read the book, <laughs> it felt very different asking, and it feels like I'm invading your privacy a little bit. Um, it so doesn't I feel like that to me. I don't feel like my privacy has, okay. <laughs> has been invaded. Oh, but I, I, I appreciate you you thinking of it that way because I think a lot of people don't when you read memoir. There's an expectation that everyone's already tidied tidied all of that up. Um, right. and, um, and I, I think that's not true for lots of people actually to, to greater or lesser degrees. Um, yeah, I, I can imagine that's true. And there's, there's, there is something also very beautiful in it. I suspect, I mean, you're saying that you, you said yourself that this is how you feel when you read memoirs, that by you sharing that very private moment, you allowed us to feel the grief that we feel or the, the difficulty mm. that we feel in the moments where we feel we're reaching a breaking point, we feel a sense of connection. Like if I am ever in that position, I'll probably think of that experience and think, well, I'm not alone, yeah. you know? So there's a yeah. beauty in that. I, I think so. There's a beauty in being vulnerable and not covering the things that we're taught to cover. Um, I think one of the reasons I was able to do that is what I was talking about earlier, I was very protected in the process. Yeah. I've been yeah. very protected in the process um, and that allowed me to feel safe enough to, mm. to do that. Mm. Um, and I know that's not true of everybody. I also know that I've got, I, I bring quite a lot of privilege with me um, mm. and, and that's probably enabling me to be more, to feel less um, worried about the consequences of sharing some of this stuff. And, and that, probably motivates me a little bit as well. Mm. Um. Uh, I can imagine. And there's there's a writer that we interviewed 
talking about writing about raw experiences like this and 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 he suggested uh to write from the scar and not from the wound mm-hmm. and i'm curious what your philosophy is mm-hmm. um was this writing from a place that still felt felt tender or had you been able to process it and i guess this is a question for writers who are writing about difficult things mm-hmm. when do you know if it's too early to write about it and when do you know when it's okay to write about it and how do you feel about that I think it's in a, 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 a memoir writing book by Mary Carr where she suggests you don't just have to write things once, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that you might tell your story, you know, in different ways throughout your life and that you, you bring layers to that. Um, and so I have an, I have an instant, <laughs> I have an instant, um, makes me cross the idea that we have to write from, a distance. Um, I don't know exactly why. I need to examine that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think, I, I suppose it feels like um, I don't like rules when it when it comes to <laughs> writing and how you tell your story. I suppose, and I think there's a value both in writing from a place of distance and reflection, and also in a place of immediacy, and. I wonder if we ever really absolutely heal everything or if it 10 years later, we'd have thought, oh, I really thought I'd got all of that sorted in my head, but it turns out that I hadn't. So I think there's a, I think there's a value in, in telling our experiences when it feels right in the way that feels right. Mm -hmm. As long as you have a way, and that's usually with an editor of making sure you're not being self-indulgent in a way that is um, excluding the reader. It needs to be a, a conversation with the reader, not just something that's for, your, for yourself, unless you are just writing for yourself. Mm. Um, yeah, Such a good point. And I so appreciate your perspective too, because I think I love that idea of not liking rules. And I think we can take something like that as a rule, but to know there's other avenues in. So I just thank you for sharing that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, the other thing I was going to ask, oh, when you talked about the uh, an editor giving you feedback on, you know, I- am I being too self-indulgent here or am I thinking enough about the reader? Is there any um, any feedback that you got from an editor or any kind of checks and balances to ask yourself, am I being too indulgent or am I thinking enough about the reader? Anything that you can, you can offer either from yourself or from your editor? Um, actually, my, my, agent who used to be an editor we worked a lot together on the proposal and she it took quite a while to get the proposal together I was getting quite frustrated and she was taking a while to get back to me which she never normally does and I think it was for from her perspective it wasn't I wasn't ready yet I was writing myself into it and she knew there wasn't a rush because I was still I needed the time Um, and so actually just writing something and leaving it, being forced to leave it, you know, <laughs> because, um, for quite for quite a while, is a really good way. I mean, it, it's that age-old trick of of distance, but it's a really good way of seeing what you've put in there because you want to sound clever, because you're trying out a new style of writing, because you just read a book by this person you really admire, and they just use adjectives really well, and so you put seventy thousand in, um, <laughs> and I think that was that was a really 
good process to go through being forced to wait and settle and work it and work it and work it patiently until I found the voice like I'd found how I wrote that kind of thing um without pretending to be be somebody that I wasn't um and I found it quite annoying but it was really good that she made me do it (laughs) yeah great I'm a fan of your work. I think that you've definitely, I mean, you've clearly found your voice. It feels very natural. It feels very personal. There are some other things in your book really resonated with me. You talked about this need for movement. You talked about this overwhelming urge to keep moving so as to travel almost instantly from job to job, radically limiting any gaps in productivity. And you said that has been with you for as long as you can remember. And it resonated because certainly Matt and I can operate that way. And we feel that many writers that we work with have this need to keep going, to be this pressure to feel Mm -hmm. super productive all the time. And it's exhausting, right? To to feel that way. I don't know if there's an answer to it, but I'm curious about any ways that you have made peace with it or tried to work to slow yourself down or to move beyond it. Um, So I, I've tried lots of different things and Um, one of the things I write about towards the end of the book is the diagnosis. And that helped me see that actually sitting still for me is a horrible experience. (laughs) I can't, that's not an enjoyable, I actually found that quite tortuous, but I do need to rest. I do need to relax. I do need to recover. So I'm currently exploring how it is that I do that. Um, and I think it it is about finding ways to let the bits of my brain that like to go off places, allow them to do that without it always having to relate to uh, something tangible, a goal, you know, a book, an organisation, you know, would it be all right? I, I relax by generating ideas like that, that relaxes me. It's just that I also believe that I have to turn all those ideas into something you know, a campaign or a job or, and so if I can break the need to do that and find ways to enjoy having the ideas, find ways to enjoy like moving my body, like doing the gardening, repetitive movements um, and bring in that sort of balance. I hope that's going to help. Um, I think also just, I think when, when you get into writing professionally, it can seem like a waste of time to write for me like, oh, well, I can't just write that because I'm very, very busy. So we could only write things where I'm, I'm being paid or it's for, and so I, I'm trying to build in opportunities just to write because I love writing and, um, and, and to find a way to that feel like enough of a goal, enough of a motivator, just that I want to do it. Um, and that's quite, there's something very deep in that like doing something just because you want to do it. It's not going to make you any money. No one's asked you to, there's no deadline. I think there's something quite, it feels like quite a political thing to do. I find it really difficult, but I, it's, in my, it's in my list of things that I want to be better at. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, th- I imagine it's something that would improve my writing if I were to do that too. Mm. No, I really like that. I love the idea of, I mean, I feel like there's, there's so much going on in the world that is not enjoyable. And there are lots of things in our days that are not enjoyable. So actually, yeah. it is radical good advice <laughs> yeah. just, just to enjoy. 
what yeah. it is you do. And I love the idea of actually generating ideas. It makes me think of James Altucher and his idea of you just, sometimes you can exhaust yourself out by writing out 10 ideas. So you, you write, say like 10 different ideas for a mug. It's just a way of trying to exhaust yeah. yourself. Because um, after eight, he says after seven or eight, you start to get tired and it's actually harder to generate the ninth and 10th idea. Oh, I have to give that a go. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thanks for sharing that, Rebecca. And, and you do you did mention, um, and this is a big through line through the book of your diagnosis of ADHD. Um, and I'm curious, what did that mean for you to get that diagnosis? What did that mean for you, more broadly, or as a writer? Any day now, I'll work that out. Um, mm. <laughs> I mean, it is a it's a really at the time. It, what it meant in the moment were, were, were two big things. One, I'd had a struggle to get some help hmm. that I write about in the book. And now there was a thing, like I was gonna be able to get some help, help myself, because there was a name and I was sitting with a psychiatrist and people were gonna, you know, they might not bounce me from pillar to post so much. But also it took me from being like a, a normal person struggling to being someone who, whose brain works differently, who has uh, different kinds of challenges. And, and I discover in, the, in the, the test that I'm hyperactive, I've never actually on the 99th centile for hyperactivity. Um, it's not something I ever would have thought mm. of. Um, and so there was a lot of processing, re, examining my entire life which when you're writing about your life and that was only in February last year so I got that diagnosis in February mm. and then was already writing the book which I, I finished the first draft in August so a lot of that that had to change that had to come into the book that dragged the book into 2020 and then of course February 2020 what's happening in the background <laughs> you know um so I think as a as a writer, realizing that I, um, I really like the phrase "you're a divergent thinker." Mm. I'm going to try and use that. That you're a divergent thinker brings with it some, like some benefits and some challenges, and it helped me understand some things I'd found really difficult and stressful about previous publishing processes, um, and be able to address those, um, though they were already being addressed intuitively behind the scenes. Mm. Um, and it also made me realize that I was writing in a very ADHD brain way. That's how I research, that's how I write. And so after a while, I realized that I wanted to write it deliberately like th the way my brain works. So that mm. started to influence the structure um and i think i think there's a huge I, I feel like i feel like it's a really exciting um place to be as as a writer to realize that you have the capacity to think in ways that not everybody does though i'm sure all writers have different capacities to do that um and but it's also a little bit terrifying that perhaps everything will be completely incomprehensible and <laughs> no interest to anybody else. Um, so it's, it's a real, it's, it's a real, real double-edged sword. Yeah. And, and for any writers in the, in the room who are in a similar place as you a late diagnosis of something like this, and I know you're, you're very much in the infancy of 
trying to figure it out as well. But have you come across anything, any tools, any practices, anything that's helped you uh, with your writing, help you organize your thoughts or your work that maybe others can can try out? Um, I used um, Scrivener for the first time to write this book. Um, because I um, can't possibly read instructions, I still don't know how to use it properly, but I still found it really useful. Um, having not dealing with really clunky word processing documents really, really helped me a lot. I also, um, the big piece of paper for structuring things, I realized that actually seeing things visually in terms of themes, I looked these out because I thought it might be interesting. These are two chapters. Um, I don't know how well you can see this, but one says September, one says October. And um, this is when we were restructuring the, the book um, in October last year. And we just went through and pulled out all the themes, had different colours, the different stories, um, sw switched things around. Um, and being able to see it like that and have someone else there to talk to um, about it really helped me. Um, a huge amount um, and I think the other thing was being I've, I've been working on a, another book a, a kids non-fiction book for a different publisher it's out next year very different kind of project but actually just being able to go to them and say oh I've I've actually um, I've got ADHD I've discovered and I've realized that's why I can't I can't deal with this particular way you're sending me this thing to look at I just can't do my work like this it's 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 going to take me a really long time is there, would it be possible for you to send it to me as a Word document? <laughs> and of course, that was absolutely fine. It was no problem. And it turned out nobody liked working that way. And so, <laughs> and so everyone was thrilled. So, you know, it, but it, it felt like it gave me permission to say, yeah, this, this, this thing that's been driving me um, crackers for ages, could we, could we not do that? Um, which I obviously should have said before, but. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Sometimes we need to ask for what yeah. we need yeah I, I love that and I'm really curious about the structure and how you've looked at it so the, the first draft you wrote mm -hmm. and then then you thought about putting it on the large piece of paper yeah. was there any other sort of structural help or, or sort of you know there, there are lots of methodologies out there did you think about the like the overarching theme or was there like chapter by chapter structure what didn't help you what helped you so I think I'm a natural, I, I naturally structure everything because I, I'm a pattern maker, <laughs> connecting things. So as I went, I was, um, I think subconsciously structuring it um, in terms of seeing, seeing what themes were there, realizing links between my story and other people's and working out how those could weave in. And um, what, was really helpful about the big piece of paper process was then looking at that from a, a reader's perspective. And actually we went through and we named all, we, we created a theme for every chapter, a specific theme. So, which quite often became the chapter title. So September became, we're like, let's find one theme that ties us together. So September became map making. And then we went through and we're like, is there anything then that's in other places in the book that needs to be pulled into September? Um, it did mean that we, I moved some events from one month to another, um, but never in a way where something might've happened in late July and it ended up happening in early August in, in, in the book. Um, I can highly recommend never 
deciding to write chapters tied to a month before because it makes it really difficult because sometimes everything happens in one month and then nothing happens for three months and we made the decision that as long as it didn't change anything about the story any of the participants it was just that instead of it being late June it happened in early July we would we would move that around in order to make the the narrative work a little bit um and so there was a bit of that, like what, what could go here? What could come in here? And then realizing sometimes that I was gonna to have to let something go. You know, th this, this particular, it was, it was uh, 30,000 words longer the first draft. So mm. about 15,000 of those were adjectives. But the rest, the rest, um, the rest were sections I had to lose. Oh, that's funny. I love it. So go, going back to a chapter, to say you had a, a chapter and you you know you have a theme like map making. What were you thinking in terms of the flow within that chapter? I'm going to get my I'm going to get my big piece of paper um, and double check what. Um, so I was thinking about factually what happened. So what happens in this chapter? Does it relate to map making? You can make everything relate to anything else if you think about it that way. And actually, that was a really useful thing. I found that a lot of things that on a scratch the surface, I thought, oh, well, maybe that doesn't go with that theme, could absolutely be related to that theme. And that was the key, because then you worked out how they were linked to the other bits of the chapter. And sometimes it was moving you know, moving one section to the front and one section to each other, working out how you're going to link those sections, realising that um, some of the fictional bits that were perhaps in the October chapter, you know what, that would be the, there's the bridge between here and there. So I had a, I have a section that is um, on the tube in London to do with tube lines. And I'd also got some bits that were about old maps Um and I'd also got some bits that were about my marriage and, and, and about me. And once I started to see those all in September through the lens of map making, trying to make sense of things, working out goals, trying to navigate a landscape, who navigates the landscape, who owns that in terms of the history, very sort of, um, I had read some books for research that were all written by some, um, uh, a series of sort of, uh, male historians and uh, who, who sort of got up every hundred years and uh, perambulated. One is called the Perambulations of uh, William Lombard, I think. And I suddenly became really interested in thinking about um, uh, a different story and who might tell that story and who. I, so I think it was just deciding what the theme was <laughs> and yeah. realizing that that, that everything could fit and could link in that way. Um, it was also about asking myself some quite difficult personal questions about why I'd put something somewhere. And it was often realizing sometimes something quite difficult. I'd put something there and hadn't really scratched away at why. And if it was going to stay there, I was going to have to scratch away. And that was my editor was really good. So I'm going to have to like, you're going to have to really explain that then, you know, what is it that that feels like? Um, and that stuff was a bit difficult, but it definitely made, um, it made my, I think the explanation of my personal story make a lot more sense um, across across the across the narrative and across the chapters. Great. Maybe just one final question on plot and structure, because um, I'm thinking of a few writers in our group who are trying to write perhaps similar books on uh, maybe on nature and and exploring their own 
maybe their relationship with someone in their family or with themselves, their own identity. And if they're feeling a little bit lost, would you, would you suggest that they don't worry about structure straight away, that they just try and get, they're still excavating memories, they just continue that until it's exhausted and then think about structure? Or would you suggest stopping and thinking about those themes now? Or does it vary per person? I just think it varies. I think people tend to know what their, what their barrier is if you ask them enough about it. So it might be something, it's quite often something quite personal. Like I'm really worried about writing about my um, father. He's, you know, he's still alive. And I don't want to, and that's, that's the difficult thing. Or it's something to do with finding the idea of joining. How do you join? You know, they've got two things they want to write about. How on earth do you join those? And sometimes the best thing is to back, yeah, to back off, I think, and focus on the things and get some help with that stuff. And sometimes it is about, I think if, if it's particularly structure that's bothering you, having somebody, having your agent, having an editor, having a friend, finding somebody who you can say, look, these are my ideas. And then go, well, that, that idea is the same as that idea. Other people with their fresh eyes see things that you don't. Um, and I, I do think, I don't think there's a right way to do it. Don't mm. think you have to write it first or structure it first. I think you have to work it out. Um, I do think if you're really stuck, going back to doing writing exercises for a bit is really helpful. And there's a book um, that you might know by a woman called Patty Miller called Writing True Stories. And it's just brilliant. Um, and it's got really great writing exercises in, and I use them all the time myself. Um, very memoir focused she extracts little bits from other memoirs, explores those ideas. And she covers everything from like, how do you remember stuff? Which I was really worried about. How do you remember stuff? How do you remember conversations? How do you remember things where, you know, you want to write about your childhood and it, it, you know, and, and also in terms of, you know, how do you tell it? Do you tell this chronologically? Do you tell it from back to front? Whose perspective? So she gets you to play with that. And I think doing things like that can really help. Um, my other trick is reading something else. Whenever I'm stuck, I just read something else. And then I've read like four sentences and suddenly I have an idea. Um, so I keep books, particularly poetry, because it's quick and essays, um, books I like around. And when I get really stuck, I forget to do it for about two hours. And then I go, oh, no, no, stop. Get out of your own head and, you know, get into, you know, someone else's and that that tends to help me quite a bit. Mm, I really love all of that. So I'm just thinking back to some of the things you've talked about. So one is you've identified talking about patterns, trying to find patterns in your work. And if you're struggling to see those patterns, asking friends or, or an editor or an agent or someone who can give you that perspective. I also like what you said about, I suppose, uh, when you're stuck, find out what it is that's blocking yeah. you. There's something that might, it's unanswered that you're maybe afraid to actually dig into or a connection you can't see. And then this idea of turning to other books, whether it's poetry or someone like Patty and, and using writing exercises. Yeah. That's super helpful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It made me just think of one, one other thing when you were giving that roundup, which is um, there's a book called The 90 Day Novel that I haven't read all of, but it's got a really good exercise in the beginning um, where he asks you just to write down everything you're afraid of. Like before you write, just write write Ooh, it down. That's so good. But and 
and um, that's really useful it's like I'm really afraid that everyone's going to laugh at me and everyone everyone's told this story before and that I don't have anything to say and I can't spell or I haven't read enough books or whatever it is that's really helpful um, and I sometimes work it into the <laughs> when I'm really worried about how to write something I write it in so if you're really struggling with a bit how do you join these two sections the way you join the two sections is to say, I don't know how to join these two sections and I can't work out why. And in writing about that, sometimes that's all you need to write, but sometimes in writing about it, you realize what it is. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my other, that's my other trick. Just, just say, just explain why you can't do it. <laughs> I love that. And I think what I, what I'm taking away from a lot of what you're saying is to, which is advice for myself as well as for some of the writers I work with or write with, is to not be afraid to go towards the places that we find difficult and to try and shine a light on it, either by talking about it or writing about it. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for that. It's beautifully put. So Rebecca, running a, a small holding is a lot of work. Writing a book is also a lot of work. Uh, how do you or how did you for this book in particular schedule your time each day to balance farm work, family, and everything else? I know this is kind of the internal question, but we're curious if you have any particular practices or structures that you have in place, times that you write, uh, environments that you write in, certain rules that you have for writing to help you keep on, on schedule. Um. I am probably the worst person to ask. So whatever I say, do the opposite. <laughs> um, I, I think one, one of the challenges I had planned to spend um, three days a week working on the book from January onwards last year. And then when I got to the last um, two months to work on it full time. Um, but then of course, lockdown happened, the children were off school, um, and that just disappeared. Um, so instead, I wrote most mornings. Um, and I, has, I did tag teaming with my husband, then he went and worked in the afternoon. Um, and I find that quite difficult. I like, I work in, it's a very ADHD thing, hyper focus on something. That's it, I'm in it, I never want to stop. I don't care about anything else. Um, and so it was probably quite good for me to, to have that habit forcibly broken. Unfortunately, I think the bit where it all comes together for me is only in that state. So the last six weeks, I worked every day for like 12 to 18 hours a day and became entirely feral um stop doing anything else could barely speak and it was really really intense and because I was dealing with quite difficult things um it was a very odd place to be um but it did get, <laughs> did get the job done um I think I think I, I I'm reflecting on what I would need to do um another another big book again um I definitely don't want to do it quite like that hopefully there won't be a global pandemic at the time it would be great um and I think I'd like to improve my writing environment I don't have anywhere nice to work and I'm used to just okay shut that out sit down here and so we have a plan um for for, for, for making a nice space here for for me to work my husband's a filmmaker so he needs a nice space to work so we're going to make that a, pri a priority when we can 
That's great. Well, it sounds like wonderful, wonderful advice. Um, <laughs> don't do what I do. That's the so advice. Don't do it. Do the opposite. <laughs> great. Well, I, I, it was funny. I was listening to a, a book and he talks about focusing on something that matters. And he says, being at peace with the chaos <laughs> that will ensue when you focus. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. I never had heard anyone say that to say, I'm focusing on this and there will be chaos behind me and around me. And maybe that's okay because this thing matters. Um, so yeah. it sounds like you embrace the chaos and, and luckily you did because you finished the book. I love that. I love that quote. I need to have that um, written up somewhere because I, I do struggle with the chaos. I go with it as well, you know. Mm-hmm. And, it's a, and it's a common theme, uh, this, you know, you work with a lot of writers, mothers who write. And I think one of the writers in the group, Rachel, will be going to your Mothers Who Write retreat yes. uh, soon. And we do have mothers or, or just writers whose family come and interfere with their work. <laughs> From all the writers you've worked with who have been on your retreats, what advice have you given them or what have they used to try and shut out the world? Is there anything or does, do we just have to go to a retreat and, and not do the washing? And not do the, <laughs> the I mean, I, I think there's, you know, I think it's interesting watching um, writers who happen to be mothers coming on the retreats. And one of the things I, I just look after them, like I just don't let them do anything. It's, I insist. And it's quite difficult for the first 24 hours. Like you're not, I'm making the tea, I'm doing that. And then there's a moment where there's a sort of that administrative, domestic, um, family and work burden is just removed. And then there's all of this space to have ideas and think. And um, the the trouble is afterwards, people can go home and get quite angry. So we have some little WhatsApp support groups. So I do think there's a, you know, there is a bit of a, what can we do in our lives and in society to continue on an equality front, you know, to make sure that that women who are writing have got a, um, a, a platform in which to do that and time in which to do that. Um, but I also think there's, there's a lot around the, am I allowed to write? Would anyone care what I say? I haven't done this for a long time. Um, that, is actually about working on our own confidence and giving ourselves, even if it's just five minutes, even if it's that time to do it and finding some other people, I think other people who understand who've been there and they understand not only that it can be challenging, but there's also huge opportunity in there and that you still want to do it, even though it's difficult and that doesn't, you know, that doesn't make you selfish. Um, Finding those people to boost each other, um, I think is, is a real, um, a real motivator and can just help it certainly helps me um realize that i the way that i feel sometimes it isn't just me it's because there is a lot going on um and i think yeah. making a little bit of time to read is really challenging um especially if you've got really young children um and i know for me and lots of the writers that i know and that i work with when you're not reading anything it's really hard to write um, so finding different ways to read, finding shorter things to read, get listening to audiobooks, um, changing from bit, you know, I used to like really long novels. Um, I've gone off them. Only <laughs> 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 because I can't, you know, I can't finish them. So thinking about what I can read that's going to give me something and accepting that sometimes I'm not going to read the whole book, which I feel is like a really dirty secret to admit, like really awful. Um, I would never have admitted that two years ago that I quite often don't read the whole book, 
even if I really like it, that I move on to something else. I've now realized that's part of the way I am. And I probably will go back and read other bits of it. But that kind of patchwork really works for me. Um, and um, so, yeah, I'm trying to say it out loud. I like it. I, I think it's <laughs> No, thank you. I've seen somebody you else says they never read a whole book and I'm now thrilled. Um, yeah. Yay. <laughs> Um, well, thank you, Rebecca. This has been so much fun, and uh, just your generosity, your openness, and uh, this is this has been great. Rebecca, it's been lovely hanging. I'm thinking. I always think about the location where in the, you took us to your beautiful little house, and we're on that mountain top with you. It feels like that. I feel like I've explored nature with you through this through this conversation. So, thank you for everything you've brought to this. It's been wonderful. Thank you for tuning in to the London Writers' Salon podcast. If you enjoyed our chat and you'd like to join us for the next one, please visit londonwriterssalon.com for more information on how to become a member. As a member, you will have access to our interview archive, to our workshops, and our cozy online writing community. Whatever kind of writer you are, it is an excellent place to make new creative connections and focus on your craft. And if you struggle to find time to write, you're welcome to write with us at our daily Writer's Hour writing sessions. It runs Monday to Friday, four times a day, and all you need is the desire to write, something to write with, and something to cheers us with. We think it's the world's best virtual co-writing space for writers, creatives, or frankly, anyone who just needs to get some work done. Visit writershour.com to sign up and join us. Until we write again. Mm-hmm.